Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity's true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. In the name of inclusion, tolerance, and diversity, you're excluded and won't be tolerated because you have a diverse view. That is the attitude of many students on the campus of the University of California at Berkeley right now, and unfortunately, it appears to be also the attitude of students on many other university campuses as well. Um, I don't know if you've heard about this, but in the past couple of weeks, uh, something happened at the University of California at Berkeley campus. Some call it the University of California at Berserkley. Anyway, um, you know, it really was a prominent place for the free speech movement in the 1960s. Well, how times have changed, ladies and gentlemen. I'm reading from an article in the San Francisco Chronicle a couple of weeks ago. And uh, well, let me just read a first, the first few paragraphs of this article to give you the gist of what happened here. A student senator, a student senator so there's a student government there at UC Berkeley, abstained from a vote supporting transgender rights last week. Then took a moment to explain her thinking. Now more than a thousand people, students, I guess, maybe maybe there's some teachers in there, I don't know, have signed a petition demanding that this student resign from the student government or face a recall. Hundreds packed a Senate meeting Wednesday night, and this goes back to about, I think, October 31st, so just a couple of weeks ago, Wednesday night to insist that she go on social media, students labeled her, quote, a horrible person and a mental imbecile, unquote. Her campus political party severed ties with her. And the Daily Californian, which is the University of California at Berkeley's storied student newspaper, ran an editorial critical of her statements and refused to publish her written defense. Now, what was her crime, ladies and gentlemen? Well, let's just keep reading. The uproar began October 31st when the Queer Alliance Resource Center asked the student Senate to pass a bill condemning the Trump administration for considering a legal definition of gender that would require it to match a person's sex at birth. Okay, now let's give you a little history on this. The Obama administration had some sort of executive order in the final couple of years of, of President Obama's uh, campaign there, or, or uh, presidency, uh, which basically uh, tried to say that transgender uh, individuals uh, could, if I remember this correctly, or, or, or schools had to assign a person gender based upon whatever they wanted it to be. So if you're a biological male, if you wanted to say, look, I'm a, I'm a female, then the Obama administration said these schools had to adhere to the to the will of the student, regardless of what their biological reality was. OK, and then Trump came in and said, no, 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 we're going to go back to the way it's always been. All right. The, the gender is based on biology. This is a scientific fact. This is not something that you can make up in your head. And uh, so this Queer Alliance Resource Center 
decided that they wanted to ensure that uh, they spoke out against Trump changing what Obama had done by executive order. Now, this Berkeley student resolution uh, resolution was, of course, entirely symbolic. These people have no say over over what President Trump does. So this is just a symbolic resolution. They just wanted to express themselves on this for some reason. I don't know why a, a university student government would be bringing national politics into their in, into their proceedings, but apparently they wanted to do this. So this is purely symbolic. And here's what the article says. The proposal that Trump puts forth would change federal Title IX civil rights law and potentially remove protections from 1.5 million transgender people, according to the New York Times story last month, based on a leaked memo. Now, all right, like time out, time out, time out. Okay, no. The proposal that Trump puts forward wouldn't change federal uh, Title IX civil rights law. Obama tried to change federal uh, Title IX civil rights law by judicial or by uh, executive fiat. He tried to change it. He tried to say that the Title IX civil rights law said that you could your your gender was whatever you wanted it to be. It's not Trump changing the law. It's Obama changing the law, and Trump is saying no. <laughs> The, the law is what the law is. You can't just change it. The president can't just sign an executive order and say, hey, I'm changing what Congress has passed. So it's according to The New York Times, which, of course, as Cal Thomas famously said, every morning I read The New York Times and the Bible just to see what both sides are doing. In any event, <laughs> The New York Times is exactly wrong because it was Obama that tried to unilaterally change civil rights law. The president can't change laws by judicial or by, I keep saying judicial fiat because I'm so used to saying judges do this, but the president can't do it either. So Trump is just acknowledging what the law always has been. Now back to the article at UC Berkeley, uh, sorry, Berkeley, the students, I'm sorry, I keep using this. It's just a joke, ladies and gentlemen. President Dr. Geisler years ago called it UC Berkeley, and so I, I can't get it out of my head now. At UC Berkeley, the students' resolution also urged. By the way, we're live this morning, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to chime in on this conversation a little bit later, our number is triple eight five eight nine eighty eight forty, triple eight five eight nine eighty eight forty at UC Berkeley. The students' resolution also urged the university to step up support of transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming students and the campus groups that support them. And so this article still hasn't named who this woman is that these uh, people were really upset with. But her name is, uh, her name, gee, it's not even in the article, is it? Her name is Isabella Chow. Uh, reading a five-paragraph statement explaining her decision, Chow told her 18 fellow senators, so she's, she's one of, I guess, 19 senators, who all voted for the bill. Another was absent, so there's 20. Okay, so 18 voted for it. Isabella Chow abstained and uh, one wasn't there. And uh, they, uh, she told all her other senators that discrimination is never, ever okay. She condemned bullies and bigots. She said she abhorred stereotypes. She called the LG community valid, LGBT community validated and loved. That said, Chow continued, voting for the bill would compromise her values and force her to promote groups and identities she disagrees with. She said, as a Christian, I personally do not believe that certain acts and lifestyles conflict. Or she said, I personally do believe that certain acts and lifestyles conflict with what is good, right, and true. She said, I believe that God created male and female at the beginning of time. 
and design sex for marriage between one man and one woman. For me, to love another person does not mean that I, that I slightly concur when, at the, or that I silently concur when, at the bottom of my heart, I do not believe that your choices are right or the best for you as an individual, unquote. And she went on to explain this for five paragraphs, okay? Now, uh, Regan Putman, president of the Queer Alliance Resource Center, said she should not have merely, or she should have merely abstained, but she took it upon herself to go into this long dialogue talking about marriage between a man and a woman and shrouding hate and love. Nobody asked her to explain her vote, Nobody who voted yes had to explain their vote. So she's shrouding hate in love. Let me ask you guys a question. And the question is this. When you disagree with somebody, does that necessarily mean that you hate them? No, disagreement doesn't necessarily mean hate. If it did, those who disagree with Christians such as Mrs. or Miss Chow would also be guilty of hate. I mean, if disagreement means hate, then anybody who disagrees with anybody is hating them? No. Look, if I love you and I know what you want to do is going to hurt yourself or hurt others, I would hate you for not disagreeing with you. I'm trying to protect you. And sometimes you need to disagree in order to love somebody. I mean, every parent knows this. If a parent agrees with everything their kid wants to do, is that parent loving? No, the parent actually doesn't care or hates the, the child. If the parent just agrees with whatever the child wants to do, that's not hate. To say that you disagree with somebody could be love. I'm Frank Turek. We're back in two minutes. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine Podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button, or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. Welcome back to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamine.org. That's crossexamine with a D on the end of it.org. Our phone number this morning, 888-589-8840 if you're listening on Saturday morning, November 17th. And by the way, my very good friend and colleague, Jorge Gill, is 36 today. Happy birthday, Jorge. In fact, uh, he has put Cross-Examine on the map with his amazing social media skills and networking skills. And you'll see him on our website you'll also see them on our facebook page crossexamine.org and dr frank turk by the way like those facebook pages if you will whenever we go to a college campus we stream the event and if you like the facebook page you'll have a better chance of seeing the event when we do stream those events so like those pages also if you would do me a favor if you could go to uh, itunes and put a favorable review of this podcast I know it's a radio program it's also a podcast if you could put a favorable review up there more people will see it somehow I don't mean the review. They'll they'll see the podcast and perhaps listen to it because I guess the more reviews you have, the more positive reviews you have, then I think uh, you get more traffic. Apparently, that's what Jorge tells me anyway. So if you go to iTunes and do that, that would be very helpful. Today, we're talking about this incident. It's actually ongoing, but it happened a couple of weeks ago on the University of California at Berkeley campus where a Christian student. Representing Christians, by the way, on the 20-member UCAL Berkeley Senate, abstained 
from a vote regarding transgenderism, and she explained her position, and she's been declared basically Hitler on that campus in the name of inclusion, tolerance, and diversity. And we were talking just before the break uh, how it's not hate when you disagree with someone. If that were the case, then people on both sides of any debate would be considered haters. No, you might actually love the person you're debating by disagreeing with them. Because when you think somebody is going down the wrong word, you have wrong road, you have to disagree with them in order to love them. Approving the disastrous path they're on is not is not loving. It's actually hateful. So it's exactly the opposite of what these students at UCAL Berkeley are claiming. It's not hateful for saying, I think you're going down the wrong road. In fact, as we'll talk about a little bit later, tragically, people who are involved in this very painful condition known as gender dysphoria have suicide rates that are greater than 20 times or about 20 times the the general public. This is even after the so-called surgery. So this, it's not loving to try and affirm that people go down this road. And I'll explain that a little bit later in the program. And hopefully we'll get to your calls later if you want to be on the program, 888-589-8840. I've got a lot more to explain before we get to calls. So if you're, if you're hanging on, hang on at 888-589-8840. Uh, in any event, uh, let's see, where were we in the article? Uh, this uh, student said... As I mentioned, uh, that uh, she was shrouding hate and love. No, she wasn't. She was loving people and telling them the truth. And if you want to love somebody, you have to tell them the truth. Within, within hours, Chow's political party, student action, cut ties with her. So did Cal TV and other publication, publications constituents. A Daily Cal editorial called her statements offensive. And declared, quote, and again, this is the campus newspaper. UC Berkeley students cannot allow and accept leaders like Chow to make decisions on their behalf, unquote. What? Hold on. Time out. Are you telling that if she was voting, she was voted, rightfully voted onto this board, that students can't allow her to represent her? Now, apparently she's representing Christians, that Christians can't allow her to vote for them. Well, maybe they want her to vote that way. The campus paper also rebuffed Chow's attempt to further explain her views in its pages. In her rejection letter, opinion editor Cheyenne Hendricks said the paper wouldn't run Chow's comments because her submission reflected her earlier statements, quote, which utilized rhetoric that is homophobic and transphobic by the Cal, by the daily Cal standards, unquote. Well, first of all, phobic. This is just a way of calling people names. Uh, and what if a child were to say, well, you're Christian phobic. I mean, this doesn't advance the, 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 the intellectual debate at all. It shuts it down. And that's part of the problem to say that, you're going to not allow somebody to express their views in a campus paper when she's a senator on the campus in the, in the, in the, in the campus Senate because she's homophobic and transphobic. I mean, these are just words to shut down debate. Again, you could just call this paper Christian phobic or 
or morality phobic. Actually, they have their own morality, as you know. This, these are moral positions to say it's wrong to be homophobic and transphobic. Well, first of all, what do those words mean? Secondly, by what standard are you claiming you're right and Miss Chow is wrong? I mean, these people have standards that are untethered to anything outside themselves. If you're going to claim that God, and by the way, God is the ultimate authority. If God doesn't exist, if his nature doesn't exist, if goodness doesn't exist, which is his nature, there's nothing right or wrong with anything. There's nothing right or wrong about being transphobic or homophobic, whatever that means. There's nothing right or wrong with anything. The daily Cal standards are just daily Cal standards. They're just arbitrary if God doesn't exist. All right, continuing with the article. Chow, a junior majoring in business administration and music, said she feels, quote, frustrated and sad that Berkeley students are forced to live in a bubble and have or and we have to protect ourselves from anything that a vocal population deems to be offensive, unquote. Well, good for her. <laughs> she's right about that. She said she's being she's been surprised by the onslaught. Quote, I go to classes and people are looking at me. I've been painted in such a negative life. Everybody's talking about it. No matter how much I tried to say I, I can love you and still disagree with you, people still interpret my disagreement with being a bigot and a hater, unquote. At Wednesday night's jam-packed Senate meeting, where all non-chow business was set aside, <laughs> students made clear that disagreeing with a person's essence is the definition of bigotry. All right, let me stop right there. This is the problem here. People think, apparently, that what they want to do sexually is their essence. That that's their identity. And so if you disagree with them, somehow you're disagreeing. Or if you disagree with their, their behavior or their ideas, somehow you're offending them. When... So if you say, I disagree with your ideas, they're going to say, no, you're disagreeing with me. You're attacking my identity when you disagree with anything LGBT. Well, what if a Christian were to say, you're attacking my identity when you disagree with anything Christian, whatever that means. Well, the other side doesn't care. I mean, her identity, Isabella's child identity, is a Christian. She's a Christian. And the, the people on the other side of this issue are disagreeing with her. And they don't think they're attacking Miss Chow's identity. But apparently when Miss Chow has her views, somehow, according to them, Miss Chow is attacking their identity. Well, look, why this double standard? Why can't you just have a discussion about ideas? I mean, you have to distinguish between attractions and actions, between people and policy. By all observations, Miss Chow doesn't hate anyone. What she does is she knows that certain things are right and other things are wrong. And in order to love people, she has to stand for truth, for their good and the good of, of our own conscious, conscience. But people don't want to distinguish between attractions and actions. People don't want to distinguish between people and policy. They want to say that if you disagree with my attractions, or my actions, you're disagreeing with me. You're attacking me as a person. If you disagree with my political goals, you're attacking me as a person. But they don't see it the other way around. If they disagree with our political goals, a Christian's political goals, somehow that's just fine. They can do that. And they can shut the person down. By the way, here's a, 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 a question that Miss Chow could use to her advantage from Greg Kokel's book, Tactics. When she was attacked by all this, 
She could have just asked these people, do you consider yourself a tolerant person? Do you consider yourself a tolerant person? They're probably going to say, oh, yes, I'm tolerant. And then she could have said, well, if you consider yourself a tolerant person or a tolerant people, then when I express a opinion different from yours, you'll tolerate it then, right? Because that's what tolerance is. You don't, you don't tolerate things you agree with. You tolerate things you don't agree with. So in order to be tolerant, you have to allow people who disagree with your position to express themselves. Otherwise, you're not tolerant. <sighs> Man, it, it just amazes me as how far from truth people have fallen. In any event, let me see where I was in this article here. Um, oh, at Wednesday night's jam-packed session, Okay, they said they made it clear that disagreeing with a person's essence is the definition of bigotry. And for three hours, until shortly before midnight, they took the microphone one by one to tell her so as Chow sat stony-faced beneath a large banner reading, Senator Chow resigned now. Some, like Romario Conrado, who wore a rainbow headband, read off the names of transgender people murdered by others who disagreed with those with who they were. Some told personal stories. Okay, so if anyone has ever done anything against a transgendered person, then Senator Chow is guilty and she needs to resign, apparently. I guess that's the logic here. One person got up and said, I'm a Christian, I'm queer, and I'm good, right, and true. Her, her, her name was Miranda. And she said, I demand Senator Chow to resign as well. Now, hold, time out, time out. You're a Christian and you disagree with Jesus. Please explain. That's what I would ask her. You're a Christian and you disagree with Jesus, please explain. First of all, you said, I am good, right, and true. You know what Jesus said? There is none good but God. So anybody claiming that they're good isn't a Christian because there, nobody's good according to, God, according to the scriptures and according to our own hearts. We know we're not good. That's why we need a savior. I mean, if you're good, why do you need Jesus? You don't. The only reason you need Jesus is because you're not good and none of us are good. In fact, if there's one thing crystal clear in the scriptures, unlike any other religious book, if there's one thing crystal, crystal clear in the scriptures, people are evil. And we know that's, that's empirically verifiable, by the way. We know people are evil. I'm evil. You're evil. Our thoughts are evil. It's much easier to be bad than good. That's why we need a savior. There is none good but God. And yet this person is standing and said, I'm a Christian, I'm queer, and I'm good, and I'm right and true. Oh, come on. If you're good, why do you need Jesus? And this whole issue about being queer, this whatever this means here, Jesus actually spoke against that. Now, he spoke against the behavior of homosexuality. See, no, Jesus never said a word about homosexuality. No, he did. In fact, we're going to talk about it after the break. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamine.org. Our phone number this morning. 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. If you want to join the conversation, we'll get to you after the break. Don't go away. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Never said a word about homosexuality or other sexual sins. Actually, that's not true. Uh, In fact, if you go to Mark chapter 7, Jesus says this, quote, What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is not from within... I'm sorry. Gee, I'm having trouble even reading today, friends. I'm sorry. Let me let me quote Jesus properly. That would be nice. You're listening to Frank Turk, by the way, on uh, Cross-Examined here on the American Family Radio Network. Here's what Jesus says. Mark chapter 7. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person, unquote. Jesus didn't use the word homosexuality there, but when he talks about sexual immorality, that includes homosexuality. That's the category that that includes every sexual activity outside of sex between a man and a woman inside of marriage. It includes adultery. It includes homosexuality, bestiality, rape, anything outside fornication, anything outside the sexual behavior of a man and a woman inside of marriage. That's what sexual immorality meant. Yes, he talked about the category. And then he talked about theft. I mean, you know our friends over at the Babylon Bee? You ever you haven't seen the Babylon Bee, you need to go there. It's a Christian satire site. And uh, one of their headlines was um Jesus never never said anything about felony home invasion. <laughs> you know, and they have this criminal quoting this criminal in this article. He never said anything about felony home invasion, so it's okay for me. Well, of course he didn't talk about felony home invasion, but he talked about the category known as theft. Yes, he didn't say anything specifically about homosexuality, but he talked about the category known as sexual immorality. So it included that. And by the way, Christians, before you get all up on your high horse about all this, this same passage talks about greed. You ever been greedy? Yeah, you have. Malice, you ever been uh, malicious toward anyone? Yeah, you have. Deceit, you ever lied? Yeah, you have. This includes all of us, friends. Oh, you might not have the, um, you may not have committed the sin of um, homosexuality or committed the sin of adultery or anything, but you've committed one of these sins. I have. We all have. So don't think you're better than anybody else because you're, you haven't committed some of these sins. All of us have committed some of these sins. It might not be the one that we're talking about here today, but we're all guilty. That's why we need a savior. So if any Christian gets up like this one at UCAL Berkeley and says, I am good, right, and true, you're not a Christian. At least it doesn't seem like you are. You haven't even read the scriptures. You don't understand your need for salvation. You don't understand the fact that you're evil and you need a savior. And by the way, even if Jesus never said a word about homosexuality, Jesus wrote the entire 
Bible through the Holy Spirit. It's not just the red letters that are inspired. It's all the letters. And by the way, it, it, the Bible doesn't even need to be inspired for Christianity to be true. That's a whole other topic, by the way, which we've talked about before. But if you are a Christian, and this person here at UCAL Berkeley was claiming to be a Christian, then how can you be a Christian and disagree with Jesus on core issues? This isn't; These aren't peripheral issues, core issues, like the fact that you're good. No, you're not good. You're evil. That's why you need a savior. And by the way, Jesus also defined marriage as between a man and a woman. Now, it wasn't just the inmates running the asylum here. There were people, a few people, three people out of, I guess, 100 that were actually for Chow. Three students sp spoke up for Chow, including Matt Ronahoo. Uh, who said, quote, the mob has descended upon Senator Chow, uh, and that's a disgrace to the University of California, which should be a place of debate, unquote. Exactly. The crowd responded with laughter and groaned when we're now asked if they didn't think conservatives and Christians were marginalized, marginalized groups at UC Berkeley. They laughed. Oh, yeah. Christians. Yeah, you're not marginalized. They laughed. This reminds me of a Proverbs. Chapter 9, it says this, verse 7. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. Yeah, these people were mocking Christianity. And the Proverbs say that if you mock or if you try and correct a mocker, they're just going to insult you back. And Tim Keller, who writes brilliantly on this topic in his book in Proverbs, on Proverbs, says this about this passage, by the way, Proverbs uh, chapter 9, verses 7 to 9. He says, the further you go down the road toward folly, the more you interpret all events as supporting what you always believed anyway. And when things go wrong, you blame others and circumstances for your problems. This hardens your heart rather than softening it and makes it and, and it makes you less open to counsel than ever. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. But try and tell a mocker anything and it will make him worse than he was before you tried. In the New Testament, Jesus laid out this principle, whoever so or whosoever has shall be given more. He talks about this in Matthew 13. Right on. Tim Keller, who always gets it right, points out, look, or almost always gets it right. Nobody's perfect. Points out, look, if you're going to try and correct mockers, they're just going to mock you more. They're going to think everything that you say affirms what they already think. But a wise person will take correction. And in the next segment, I'm going to talk about why it's important that we not um, shut down debate whether you're a liberal or a conservative, it's important that you don't shut down debate. In fact, let me just grab a phone call before we go to that break. Uh, let me go to Monty in uh, Virginia. Monty, you're on with Frank Turek. Go right ahead, sir. Frank, I'm going to try to make it brief, but I have a hard time doing that. I uh, attended Wake Forest and Gardner-Webb uh, mm -hmm. there, and I also lived in Charlotte, where uh, Chuck Norris and Christy Brinkley Still market 30 years later those total gems. I helped uh, with one of the originals, the Dyna gem, sold it for 100 bucks uh, commission there. But anyway, to tell you, Frank, you and and um, Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron are my three of my favorite favorite people. I would not want to see all three of y'all on a soapbox. 
preaching God's word because they wouldn't throw fruit and veggies at you. They would throw our political stupidity at Berkeley at you and wonder why you don't go away. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's um, it's sad what's happened on our campuses, Monty. And people ask me all the time, what uh, what concerns you about a college campus and what changes have I seen over the past decade? And the biggest concern I have is this swelling totalitarian attitude on campuses that no one should be exposed to ideas they disagree with, that all disagreement is hate. But it's only hate in one direction, as you notice. Those who disagree with leftists are hateful. Leftists are not hateful when they disagree with Christians or conservatives. Christian and conservatives must be silenced because they're evil, according to leftists. That's why Mrs. Chow or Miss Chow must resign and not be given any further opportunity to explain ourselves. And, and, right. and, and, and this, is, this, is, this grieves me. I mean, it's as if these people are holding their hands over their ears and they're chanting, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. I got to ask myself, are these people still in third grade? I mean, they're certainly acting like they are. Uh, My my friend Everett Piper, who is the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, wrote a book uh, called This is a University, Not a Daycare. And it seems like we're (laughs) churning out people from universities who should who think the university is like a daycare that we have to protect them from every possible idea that they might disagree with. I mean, it's, it's baffling to me. What's well, it? I don't know if it's baffling. It's just, it's grieving to me that people don't want to debate anymore. They just want to shut down debate and they just want to call you names. I, I, I think that's tragic. Frank. Yeah, I'm still here. Go ahead, Monty. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. And I, I do have a uh, wife finish her doctorate at Liberty University the last year. Trump coming uh, on board to give out, being part of the ceremony. And then uh-huh. uh, it, it is absolutely insane. And, and Culpepper is one of the birthrights of the First Amendment rights, you know, a religious and speech freedom. Uh-huh. And right here is where it started. And one of my ancestors back to 1774, Mount Pony. Uh, was jailed and so forth as a preacher for preaching God's Word. And King James, I don't know what he thought he was doing, but between giving land away that he didn't own and treating people with hatefulness at their spirituality, man, I just pray for whatever happened to their souls. Well, yeah, well, let's pray for all of us because, uh, unfortunately, our culture can influence more than we think. And even Christians now, to some extent, who have bought into... Uh, what the LGBT community is trying to do have some of them are, are some Christians are even saying, well, it's hateful to be uh, to stand in faithful opposition to behavior that actually hurts people. It's sad, but that's where we are right now. Monty, thanks for the call. Let me me get David in Texas. David, we just got a couple of minutes before the break, uh, but uh, get to it quickly. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, Frank, I just think that uh, when we're attacked with identity politics, we just need to stick to the facts and, I think if Ms. Chow had just continued to talk about Title IX, and I appreciate her courage, and thank you for this uh, commentary this morning. Well, yes, thank you so much, David. I think that people have to stand for truth. If we don't stand for truth, uh, what's going to happen is that truth is not going to be heard. In fact, let me point out that um, shutting down debate, I mean, this should be obvious, but apparently for some people it's not. Shutting down debate is not an American value. If you want to shut down debate, go live in North Korea or Saudi Arabia or Iran or China. 
I've been to three of those countries. I've been to Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iran, and China. You can't do what we're doing right now on this radio program in those countries. Why? Because they've shut down debate. You can't do what people are supposed to be able to do on college campuses, express their opinion in those countries. Why? Because politically they've shut down debate. And this is what the left, many on the left want to do. They want to shut down debate. I mean, I can disapprove of what you say, but I will defend you to the death, your right to say it. Somebody said that. I disapprove of what you say, but I defend to the death, your right to say it. Some famous American said that. That's our attitude, that we have the ability to speak freely. You don't have to like the person with whom you disagree, but you do have to respect and tolerate his right to speak. Now, as a Christian, we're supposed to love everybody. That doesn't mean you feel good about the other person, because if love, requi- if love was all about feelings, you couldn't love your enemies. Love means that you respect the other person, you seek what's best for the other person. And sometimes, many times, that means you have to disagree with what they want to do. If you don't disagree with what, want, what, what, what they want to do, then you're not loving you're indifferent or you're hateful if you approve of behavior that's going to hurt them and hurt others. So we've got a completely flipped in our society today, and Christians have to start speaking up. I'm Frank Turek. We're back with reasons you should not shut down debate. Don't go away. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type cross-examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. Welcome back to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Check out the website, crossexamine.org. Download the app, two words in the app store, Cross-Examine. That's two words, Cross-Examine. I think we're up to about 180,000 downloads on that app. They're finding it very helpful. And in fact, some of the questions that we talked about today, questions you can ask other people, like, do you consider yourself a tolerant person? Questions like that are in the app or in the the, uh, quick answer section of the app. So check that out, because these are very practical tools that you can use to navigate a conversation. And uh, many of these questions are, of course, from Greg Kokel's book, Tactics, which is a great book. If you don't have it, you ought to read it. Um, there's another book that I've been actually using in preparation for today. There's a couple of books that uh, I've uh, written. One is called Correct, Not Politically Correct, How Same-Sex Marriage Hurts Everyone. Another is called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. I've noticed that atheists have a standard when they declare these moral positions. In the discussion we're using, to, or we're, we're, we're talking about today, the issue we're talking about today, about this young senator uh, in uh, the University of California at Berkeley campus who has been just uh, <laughs> just been pummeled with uh, all sorts of abuse and uh, calls to resign because she abstained from a vote that uh, was pro-transgenderism. She abstained from it. She said, look, I just can't. My religious convictions won't allow me to vote for this, so I'll just abstain. She didn't even vote against it. She just abstained. Well, there are questions that you can ask people when they come at you like this. Now, they may not want to at all engage in debate, and that's part of the problem. But at least you can ask them the question. Do you consider yourself a tolerant person? Or you can ask them, 
Um, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by bigotry? Explain bigotry. As soon as they try and explain what bigotry is, they're going to be in trouble. Why? Because if bigotry just means disagreement, then they're bigots too because they disagree with Miss Chow or they disagree with you if you're using this tactic. And how did you come to that conclusion is another question you ought to be asking. How did you come to the conclusion that gender is completely in the mind of the other person? Is height in the mind of, of, of the person? Like if I want to just say I'm six foot eight when I'm really only six foot one, am I really six foot eight because I think that? Or if I want to say I'm a, in fact, there was a, <laughs> there was a group, uh, the Washington Family Policy Council a few years ago went to the University of Washington uh, and they asked students questions like, well, if I want to say I'm a woman, can I be a woman? And all the students are going, oh yeah, you can be a woman. And the guy kept, the interviewer kept pushing the envelope. I kept saying, well, could I say I'm a six foot eight Chinese woman? And at that point they started getting uncomfortable. Well, why is it that gender can be in my mind, but not my ethnicity or not my height? How, how is gender not a scientific fact like ethnicity or height? And the students were getting uncomfortable because they realized the inconsistency in their approach. And so by simply asking questions, you can get people to at least consider their position, reconsider their position. And here's the problem, though. This is the problem I'm seeing when we go to college campuses. And that is when people can't rationally defend their position, what they do is they suppress the truth and they try and shout the other person down by calling the other person names or demanding that they not be given a voice like is what happened, like, like what has been happening to Miss Chow here. In other words, when you can't articulate a rational, morally defensible principle, then what you do is you resort to power. You shut the other person up at all costs. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're on the left listening to this podcast or on the right, doesn't matter. Let me warn you about the negative consequences of shutting down debate, regardless of what your position is, whether you're on the left or the right. If you shut down debate, I see three major problems. There's probably more than this. These are just three I, th I, th I thought about yesterday in preparing for this program. Number one, if you shut down debate, here's your first problem. How will you ever learn anything? How will you ever grow and discover something new? Living in your own self-imposed echo chamber is not what we call education. It's what we call narcissism. That's the first problem. Regardless of what position you agree with now, whether you're on the right or the left, if you shut down debate, you're never going to learn anything. You're just going to hear what you already believe. That's not education. That's narcissism. Problem number two. How can you ever correct someone who is wrong if you shut down debate? I mean, how can you ever correct someone who is wrong if you don't first discover their position? You can't discover they're wrong unless you allow them to speak. But by chilling free speech, you'll never have the opportunity to improve that person or improve society because people will be hiding their beliefs rather than expressing them. When they express them, then you'll have the opportunity to convince them of the truth. But shutting people down prevents you from having the opportunity to correct them. That's problem number two. And here's problem number three. What if you're wrong? If you prevent anyone who disagrees with you from speaking, how will you ever get the benefits of being corrected?
being corrected can save you from ruin. Because you see, friends, reality eventually hurts those who act on wrong beliefs. Let me say that again. Reality eventually hurts those who act on wrong beliefs. And tragically, this has happened in the transgender community. Because this is a problem that is obviously very painful. In fact, Sam Albury, who is same-sex attracted himself, now works for RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, has an article on the, uh, on the, uh, the Gospel Coalition where he says, quote, gender dysphoria, the feeling of profound discomfort with the sex of one's own body is often hugely painful. For some, it's chronic, going back even to early childhood. For many, the emotional toll can feel unbearable. No one can deny this pain, and Christians can perhaps uniquely account for, account for it. He says, Paul gives us a key insight into the world in which we live. Quote, for the creation has been subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the joy of the children of God. Romans 8, 20. 21. And Albert goes on to say, creation isn't right. The physical world has been subjected to futility, to frustration. It doesn't work properly. It's out of joint. It has been subject to this frustration by God. The Bible's wider narrative explains this. God cursed the ground as a judgment on human sin. In other words, the world isn't right as both a consequence and a demonstration of the fact that we're not right. What's true of creation is true of our bodies too. And he goes on to explain how our bodies are broken. Not just people who have gender dysphoria, but all of us. We're broken and we need a savior. We're never, he goes on to explain how we're never going to fix this on our own. And his, the title of his article is why Christianity alone offers transgender gender persons hope. Christianity alone. He says the only answer to our experience of brokenness in our bodies is found in the ultimate brokenness of Christ's body. He experienced the ultimate affliction. His was the body most reviled by others and the ultimate dysphoria ever experienced was when he who had no sin was made sin for us. Talk about being in the wrong flesh. Yet he went through all that for us. He experienced ultimate brokenness that we would never have to. This is what Albury says, and he's absolutely right. We're broken. And if we act on wrong beliefs, if we try and change our bodies because we feel that we're in the wrong body, we're going to further break ourselves. In fact, Dr. Paul McHugh, who for years was the head of psychiatry at John Hopkins University, um, points this out. Um, he says, he points out that transgenderism is a mental disorder on par with anorexia. In anorexia, a dangerously underweight person falsely believes that she is overweight. In transgenderism, and these are my words now, not, not, McHugh, because I wrote an article on this uh, a couple of years ago called LGBT Contradictions, which you can look up. Uh, in transgenderism, a physical male or female falsely believes to be the other sex. McHugh reveals that Hopkins stopped doing gender reassignment surgery because patients were still so troubled after the surgery that they had a suicide rate 20 times higher than the rest of the population. And McHugh wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal, and he ended it this way. He said, sex change is biologically impossible. People who undergo sex reassignment surgery do not change from men to women or vice versa. Rather, they become feminized men or masculinized, masculinized women. 
claiming that this is a civil rights matter and encouraging surgical intervention is in reality to collaborate with and promote a mental disorder, unquote. Now, I know it sounds insulting to suggest that someone has a mental disorder, but I got two quick responses. Number one, first, we don't assign blame when people have a problem with organs such as hearts, lungs, or kidneys. So why should we do the same with the organ called the brain? Such people need our help, our compassion, not our condemnation. Second, what if someone really has a mental disorder? We are only hurting them by encouraging them not to only deny the problem, but to celebrate it and make it permanent by mutating their perfectly healthy body. Look, if there is a disconnect between your mind and your body, you can change your mind. You can't change your body. This is a problem for psychiatry, not a problem for surgery. And we only hurt people by suggesting that their problem can be fixed by surgery. It can't. All the data shows it can't. So if you truly love someone, you'll stand in the way of that, even if they hate you for it. Love, as Paul says, always protects. The way you protect people is you stand in the way of things that will hurt them. And that's what Miss Chow is trying to do. That's what Christians are trying to do. Now, unfortunately, Christians don't articulate. We don't articulate ourselves well. We, we, we often sound condemning, and I, I hope I haven't sound condemning in this in this in this uh, podcast. If I have, forgive me. I'm just trying to get the, the data out as quickly as I can in the limited time I have. But the point here is if you love somebody, you will stand in the way of any evil that is before them. Even if it's evil, they want to commit themselves. And that's what we're to do as Christians. We need to do that. So let's do it. Let's love people properly by standing in the way of evil. Now I'll post some of this stuff on our Facebook page so you can see it if you want to go into further detail. I'll post Miss Chow's um, response and uh, maybe another article or two. So check that out, and I'll see you again next week right here, friends. Have a blessed Thanksgiving. God bless. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our cross-examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the cross-examined official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support. 